This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Bell in the shotgun. Zach, Blake back to pass. Looking right, throws in zone, right side. It is caught! He caught it! Touchdown, Sooners! Touchdown, Jalen Saunders! What a throw. <laughs> Sooner magic in Stillwater! Oklahoma leads with 19 seconds to play! Oh, mama! All right, it's episode number 75 of Play by Play Cast. Welcome back into the pod, everybody. Uh, no intro this week. We're just going to roll right off the top here, mainly because uh, as a broadcaster in the MAC, we have midweek football now. So I'm in Oklahoma as we record this on a Wednesday. Football Thursday, basketball Friday, we fly out to Oregon for basketball Saturday. So uh, to minimize editing on this week's episode of the pod, uh, let's say hi to Toby Rowland. You are in the throes of it, my man. Uh, this is the time of year when uh, everybody's busy, and, and you've got it double time right now. So it's an honor to be on with you. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, your podcast. Uh, we are three to five hours from everywhere in the Big 12, so I drive most places, and I consume a lot of podcasts. And I found yours not too long ago, and I've enjoyed many of them, so well done. Well, this is awesome. We don't, we don't usually interact with friends of the pod off the top. Usually it's like... <laughs> After the fact, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I've been listening to a couple on uh, in, in retrospect, but it was it was neat when I got the email from you that said, hey, I've, I've heard a few, so uh, glad to be on. So glad we can sit and, and chat. Uh, for those that don't know, by the way, Toby is the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners going on year what now? Is this year six or seven? This is the seventh year. Yeah, we are, uh, we are into year seven. Tell me about your... Your upbringing with the Sooners, because I know when you got this job, you basically said this was the job. So at what point did you plan out kind of in your life and say, A, I'm going to be a broadcaster, and B, I'm going to be the voice of the Sooners? My sophomore year in college at Southern Nazarene, which is a, a local small school here in the Oklahoma City area, I was an accounting major, and I, did, I wasn't enjoying it. And I remember a conversation I had with my father in which he said, what would be your dream job? And, and listen, I grew up, as probably you and a lot of people listening, a giant sports dork. I mean, I consumed everything. I, I played out entire 64-team NCAA tournaments on the Dr. J goal in my basement and, and would play triple and quadruple hitters of baseball in my backyard where I'd pitch it to myself and hit it. The greatest thing for me was, was OU football. And I would listen to John Brooks, who was then the voice of the Sooners as I was a kid, and act out games. We didn't get to go to many, but I'd act them out in the backyard. I'd be Billy Sims high-stepping into the end zone. So I grew up a giant Sooner fan, and my, my dad said, what would be your dream job? And I was like, well, the, the greatest job any human being could ever have would be to be the play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. But that's not going to happen, obviously. So if I could just figure out a way to get – you know, to be in sports broadcasting would be unbelievable. And he encouraged me to do that. The problem was we didn't have a broadcast journalism major at Southern Nazarene. We had a journalism degree, but I had a great professor there who was able to cobble together, knew what, what I wanted wow. to do, cobble together a curriculum that got me as much experience as possible. 
Uh, you're a Syracuse guy, right? I've heard you with Tony Caridi, a good friend of mine from West Virginia. I mean, you guys, uh, the Syracuse guys and the Missouri guys and the Kansas guys are kind of the Harvard and Yale of this industry. I like to think my path is kind of the uh, equivalent of Jim Furyk's golf swing. You know, you just it's not it's not classically trained. I just kind of cobbled it together. But she got me an internship at a local TV station. I was on the basketball team at Southern Nazarene, but I was like four-string point guard. I was terrible, wasn't playing at all. So my senior year, my coach said, if you'll give us the basketball scholarship back that we're wasting on you, basically, uh, we would like you to start a sports information program here, and you can call our games. He knew what I wanted to do. So, you know, awesome. I didn't have to run line drills anymore, and I got to start to learn how to uh, call games and everything that goes into that. Good fortune for me was uh, I stayed on after I graduated to be the sports information director, and we started at Southern Nazarene a football and a baseball program. So I had to you know, learn how to call football and, and baseball and did that for four or five years. And that's where the love blossomed. You know, Once you call your first games, you're like, this is, I can't imagine anything better than doing this. And um, you know, the career went the television route for a while, which was fine. I was enjoying that. I was at the CBS affiliate here in Oklahoma City for about a decade, all the while kind of keeping my toe in the play-by-play waters, uh, local high school, got to know the people at OU. So when they needed a pinch hitter for women's basketball or baseball or softball, I would call a game here or there for them. And, uh, and eventually the door opened for a sideline guy, for the sideline guy in 2009. And... Um, was fortunate enough to get that which at the time I thought I mean this is as close to my this is unbelievable I'm on the OU broadcast you know um, the thing I've always dreamed about being a part of and after two years after the second year our our longtime play-by-play voice who's a legend around here Bob Barry announced his retirement and was fortunate enough that they um, that they chose to go with uh, the guy the Jim Furyk golf swing what's it like when um you know, they always say that you don't want to be the guy that replaces the legend. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaced the legend. Um, what's it like being the guy that replaced the legend and carving out your own niche and kind of gaining that acceptance of Sooner fans who obviously knew who you were because you'd been around, uh, but getting people to look at you in the light you want them to as the new voice of the Sooners? You're certainly aware of it. Um, I think it was made a lot easier by Bob, uh, Bob Barry, who who was the previous voice of the Sooners, just embraced me right away and made it extremely easy. Um, But for the first couple of years, you're certainly aware that it has been done a certain way around here for a long time. A, A quick example, and it sounds simple, but Bob would say, touchdown Oklahoma. And I, at least in the early years, would say, touchdown Sooners. And that's not a big deal doesn't sound like a big deal but you'd be surprised how many thousands of people that drove crazy i mean they they had heard touchdown oklahoma their whole life and didn't want to hear it another way was that is that was that a conscious decision by you though to say i'm going to be i'm not going to be him in terms of like almost protecting his legacy you know there was um i was hired in march and and didn't call my first real football game until late august early september so there was a long time there of what am I going to do? How's it going to work? More than that, people asking me things like, what's your touchdown call going to be? What's your catchphrase? All that kind of stuff. So it was probably in my head more than it should have been there early. 
I didn't want to. That was his call. You know, that was his. It's, it, I couldn't just copy what he said. So I don't even say that anymore. I don't say touchdown sooners anymore. But in the early days, we did. And so it was a little bit of a conscious decision to, out of respect, that's his thing. But a lot of people didn't like it. So there was um, the first couple of years, you're just kind of aware. It's been done this way for a long time. To be fair, I would feel the same way. You know, I'm a giant Cincinnati Reds fan. I've listened to Marty Brenham in my whole life. And whoever's next after Marty, it's going to take me a while because I've, I've heard Marty for 40 years now, however long he's been doing it. So I get it. I mean, when you've heard Oklahoma Sooner football called the same way for decades, whoever the next voice is, no matter how good he is, it's going to take a while for people's ears to adjust. I'm sure Joe Davis is going through the same thing with the Dodgers, and he is extraordinary. But, um, yeah, it takes a little while to kind of settle in for you to find your voice, your original voice, and for people to accept that as, all right, he's our guy now. Did you along the whole way still kind of keep the end goal of I want to find a way to situate myself to get to the, the dream job of being the voice of the Sooners? Or, I mean, had you kind of resigned yourself to the fact that, hey, I'm in a decade in television. This is I'm great at it. I'm enjoying it. Let's go this route or... I've had the conversation a couple of times with people recently, too, about, you know, best way to get to the play-by-play job you want is do you go off to Pocatello and do play-by-play and get good at it um, and be that and try to get your way in that way? Or are you the guy that is around something all the time and, and builds a reputation in a place uh, so that when something comes open, they go, that's our guy. Um, you've been in Oklahoma for a long time. Did you kind of have that thought in your mind that went, hey, listen, um, if I can... Uh, be the guy here in Oklahoma, I can set myself up to get to where I ultimately want to be. I don't know that I put that much thought into it. I think... um, Or just completely... (laughs) No, no, I got what you're saying. But it is so unlikely that voice of the Sooners actually happens. I mean, listen, your job is a great job. Anybody who is in one of our jobs has an unbelievable you know, living. Uh, it, it, if it would have been Memphis, if it had been Utah, if it had been Ball State, I would have been tickled pink. But the fact that, I mean, my favorite team growing up, the, the, the team that I revere so much, the broadcast and everything that I revere so much, it's so minuscule unlikely that I better find some other things that in life that I'm going to be happy with. And so I think I, I heard your interview, I think, with Sean Grandy, who talked about um, versatility. I mean, you just get as good at as many different things as you possibly can, and you never know what door is going to open for you. So if it's television, if it had been on the anchor desk and that's where my career went, I would have been happy doing that. Um, if it had been in radio and, and it had been a talk show and that's where my career went, I could have been happy doing that. If I was in the world of sports broadcasting, I would have been happy. But to plan out the path to be the, the one job that's going to come open once and 300 people are going to want it, I mean, you've got to kind of have realistic expectations. I do remember when the job came open, telling my wife, we'd only been on the sideline two years, still pretty young. There's a lot of bigger names that want this there's a 99% chance this isn't going to happen, so don't get your hopes too high. But um, obviously, it has been unbelievable. It's been, it's been beyond our wildest dreams. What was the reaction? I know, I, I think I had read an interview where basically when you got the call, you basically 
broke down this was the the life goal and i think you you said you called your wife and like she just went nuts right i uh it was a long process and when we finally got that final call i was alone at home and the voice on the other end said we're calling to to offer you the job to be the next voice of the sooners and i mean you got to know what that means in my heart you know that's walter cronkite that's kurt gowdy that's bob barry and john brooks and this is a thing that i you know you never really believed would happen and i bawled like a baby i called my wife and uh, she was at a mexican restaurant with some friends and she screamed but this was supposed to be all top secret so we couldn't tell anybody for like four or five days till the press conference that was so hard to sit on for that long. what's wrong nothing at all everything's fine <laughs> but it, it was emotional and and it still is you know it's only it's been seven years but it's really it's only been seven years you know in this business there's a lot of guys that have been doing it for 30 40 years so I'm still a newbie, and uh, it's still, when I retell the story, I, I can still feel the emotions. I'm in a position where I replaced a guy that was 56 years at Ball State. There's obvious inherent pressure that comes along with that, and, and Maury Manny's was great in many ways. Um, but you just sat here and rattled off the guys that came before you. And you don't even have to be a sports fan to know Kurt Gowdy, Walter Cronkite, names that resonate with anybody and everybody. Uh, what was the pressure like when you first assumed that role, um, and maybe even now to, hey, I, I want to, or I've got to not only live up to the Sooner name that I've been so connected with my whole life, but, but names of giants in this industry that came before me? Um, I think for about a year I felt pressure, and now there's just kind of a reverence. I talk about the chair a lot and having reference, uh, reverence for the chair that you get to sit in. And, and the men who at the University of Oklahoma who have sat in that chair. And I don't feel pressure now. I just want him to be proud. I just want him to feel like, all right, he's acceptably carrying the baton, you know? And uh, I could never be Walter Cronkite or Kurt Gowdy or John Brooks or Bob Barry. There's no way I, I can. But it took me for about a year to stop trying to, you know? You, you, I, I got to be as good as those guys. And... I heard a Vin Scully story one day talking about, you know, uh, I think it was Red that got onto him in his first year in Brooklyn about stop trying to be somebody else, just be yourself. Nobody else can be a Vin Scully. That's a, I butchered the story, but it's to that effect. And that gave me some peace. I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm a pretty good Toby Rowland. If I can just go be myself, I know how to call a game, and let's hope that Oklahoma Sooner fans embrace me. And, since that moment forward, I've had a pretty good piece about it. I don't feel pressure. I know how big of a deal it is to be the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, and I hold that in the highest regard, and I protect that. And, um, and then you just go try to do the best job you can every game you call. What's your job entail? Because it's unique in that you guys have the Sooner Sports Network, uh, which not everybody has, and you produce a lot of content uh, as yourselves. Uh, what are the, the types of things that are required of you uh, or that you get to do that are maybe a little bit different, fun, unique to, to this job? We do have a TV network uh, on campus, which is an unbelievable experience. Joe Castiglione, our athletic director, had the foresight, even before the Longhorn Network came along, to create this and it's really become a trendsetter in college sports we produce a multitude of shows every week i'm not involved in all of them but for example right now um, i will host a press conference show on mondays co-host that for lincoln riley's press conference 
Tuesdays we do a spotlight show, which is a half-hour feature on kind of the athletic department as a whole. Uh, and then we broadcast uh, for radio and television a simulcast on Tuesday nights from a local barbecue restaurant, uh, a one-hour show we call The Huddle with Teddy Lehman, who was a Butkus Award-winning li- uh, linebacker here, and then The Lincoln Riley Show. So we'll host his uh, call-in show, although it's tweets now, um, every Tuesday from there. I heard Bob Stoops doesn't necessarily like call-ins if you don't tell him ahead of time. Uh, we, we actually, I hosted Bob's show for a while, and we stopped taking calls one <laughs> night, and we haven't ever since because it, it went bad, but uh, that was a funny night. Um, and then, you know, during basketball season, obviously, it's, it's basketball shows and stuff. But there are some extra responsibilities uh, on the television side of things, and, and sometimes it's calling games. Um, there'll be women's basketball games or softball games or soccer games, rowing. Um, You've called rowing? I've called rowing. How do you call rowing? Uh, stroke, stroke, stroke. <laughs> yeah, it looks like they're out in front. You have a really, like everything else, you have a really good color analyst that knows what they're talking about. Fair. That's the key to all good play-by-play. Um, but, the, you know, we have all the Olympic sports that we try to shine the spotlight on because football's got it. I mean, they don't need us. They've got ESPN and Fox, and so does basketball. But all the other sports that we try to bring a little more of a spotlight to, we, we jump in and help out with that as well. Does that make it more fun for you than just being the football basketball guy? Um, yeah. You know, I think that any time you can challenge – your versatility. I mean, anytime you can, you get thrown something new. The initial thought is, "Oh, I've never done that before." Ask somebody else, you know. And then you kind of bow up and go, "Shoot, I can do that." You know, if it, if somebody else can do that, I can do that. So you study up on how to, how do you do a gymnastics meet, or how do you call a rowing or whatever. And then once you've done it, you've done it, and you can add it to your resume. Hey, if uh, if the Olympics ever need an extra rowing announcer, I've got it on the resume somewhere. So. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's 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 uh, it can be stressful at times when you're in the middle of a week like you are right now, and something extra gets thrown on your plate. But we're fortunate that we have the Sooner Sports Network because it's it's an amazing entity. Not that you know we all like to talk about sports, and this is what we enjoy doing. So more of it is I don't want to say never ever a bad thing, but you do so much and you cover so many different things. And I guess you could probably ask the same thing uh, to people that are at Texas with Longhorn Network and things of that nature. Um, how does it test you in terms of coming up with new things to say or different ways to say old things so that you don't feel like you're doing you know, the press conference show and talking about one thing and then hammering it again when you're doing the call-in show or the tweet-in show with Lincoln Riley and then hammering it again when you're talking to him pregame uh, and keeping things fresh with the amount of coverage that you get involved in? It's a great question. I think there's a fine line between... You know, there's a comfort, especially, I think, with the hometown college broadcast of your guy who says the things you like to hear every week. When I was growing up, it was John Brooks, and he always said Jiminy Christmas when there was a big play. And we all looked forward to hearing Jiminy Christmas. And, you know, every broadcaster's got this or that with football or basketball that is kind of their deal and their fan base. You know, that's, they, they, they attach themselves to it. But there's a fine line between that and falling into a rut of always saying the same thing over and over again. So I think that you've got to listen to yourself, especially early on. You've got to go back and listen to recordings and, and see if you fall into a rut or if you have a crutch word that you repeat every time there's a handoff or any time the ball goes to the left corner. Do you always call it the corner or can you vary your delivery? 
uh, I, like a, a lot of us in this business, I kind of carry a, a list of verbs with me at all times. And you never know when you're going to hear a word. Maybe it's a, one of your kids' cartoons, or maybe it's on a billboard or on a menu somewhere where you say, huh, that would be a good way to describe someone driving to the basket or Rodney Anderson hitting the hole. And you kind of keep that list, and before a game or at halftime, you look at it and you think, eh, maybe I could work in something new tonight. But you don't want to stray from what makes you you. So I think it's a fine line between giving people, um, giving people kind of the broadcast that they've grown to be comfortable with, the lexicon that they've grown to be comfortable with, and not being uh, repetitive every night. Same thing apply, I guess, when it comes to question asking and things like that, because mm-hmm. I'm sure you interact with coaches multiple times per week uh, for multiple different audiences, mm-hmm. and at some level are getting not so many multiple different answers. Um, right. Where's the challenge in, in that for you? The challenge is an individual challenge from coach to coach. The personality of a coach um, dictates an interview more than anything else. Now, you can try to help it. Uh, you can try to get into some interesting topics that will bring personalities out of coach or a good story or whatever. But, you know, the coach is, is, is the dictator of how that's going to go. But it's, it's funny how wildly different personalities can be. I mean, Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley are 180 degrees different personality-wise. And so that show on Tuesday nights with Lincoln Riley is an entirely different show than it is with Bob Stoops. Both of them very good but entirely different feel to it. Our baseball coach right now, uh, Skip Johnson, good old country boy who would just as soon be sitting in a deer blind as doing anything else in the world. And he talks like that. You know, he's he tells you good old country stories about killing possums and all that kind of stuff. And the interviews are awesome. Sherry Cole right now uh, is certainly one of the most recognizable faces in all of women's basketball and you could ask her the worst question in the world, and she will turn it into a Beethoven symphony. You don't have to be a good question asker. With Bob Stoops, you did. If you ask Bob a bad question, he would tell you to your face with the cameras rolling, come on now, Toby, that's not a good question. You know, he'll, he was the best final exam you could have for how to be a good interviewer. How did he make you better? Um... He sharpens you. I would think about that show from the moment the football game ended on Saturday until Tuesday night. And I would be keeping a list of possible questions in my phone. And I would watch, I would watch his press conference after a game. And then he would have another press conference. He'd have a TV show on Sunday and another press conference on Monday. And he'd have another media availability after practice on Tuesday. All of this before I got to him Tuesday night. And I would... You know, every question in the world has been asked. That's where it comes back to how, to, how do you make a difference, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and the one thing he doesn't suffer is answering the same question <laughs> over again. So I've got him for 60 minutes. He's already been asked 250 questions since the football game. So what in the world are we going to do? So, he, I mean, he would really, he would, it would test you into put a lot of thought in it, be creative. Um, what can we talk about maybe in Youngstown, Ohio, when he was growing up that people haven't heard before? What about the opponent this week? Are there some personal connections that Bob has that people hasn't heard before? Uh, maybe it's a question that somebody asked at a press conference and there was a really good follow-up to that, and they didn't follow it up. And now I can go pursue that a little bit more. 
And what you do right here, I think, is is what that show is. It is a relaxed, sit-down podcast interview session. And if you can engage him or anybody in a conversation, not just a list of questions, let's have a conversation. He answers that. Tell me more about this. Feed off of each other. Then you can hopefully get something interesting out of that. I heard an interview you did where you talked about uh, emceeing events and talked about emceeing them with Bob. And he had a routine where and this is how much time you had and what he, here's what I want you to ask me, here's what don't ask me. Would you do that for radio-type interviews as well? Uh, and I guess there's a push and pull there because it's, sometimes you have to ask tough questions. But at the same time, can you, could you go to a guy like that in advance and almost kind of... Hey, you know, Bob, this is what this is where I want to go with this, you know, just so you're aware ahead of time. Or do you have anything you want me to hit you with? I'll do that with all of our coaches. Um, I, you know, I'm in a different role than uh, the editor at the Oklahoman or someone at a local news station. I'm on their team. You're all getting paid by the same people. Yeah, I'm, on the, I'm their guy. I'm on their team. And so before a show or before a session, I will, you know, if we have a caravan or whatever we're doing. I'll go to Lon Kruger or Sherry Cole or Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley and say, is there anything you want me to ask you tonight? Because maybe they've got an agenda that they want, to, or maybe they've got some news that they want to break that night, and I wouldn't know otherwise. Can I tee you up for a point you'd like to make tonight? And then is there anything you don't want me to ask you? Um, almost always the answer to that was no or is no. Some On a rare occasion, I remember that – you know, I think it was maybe the Joe Mixon situation or something. Or he was like, I, uh, we've talked enough about this. Let's just make sure we don't talk about that tonight. So I get it. I mean, I'm a, we're on the same team. So um, I think that's just a courtesy. And sometimes it's for my benefit. More often than not, it's for my benefit because they're going to bring me something I wouldn't know otherwise. Sherry may say, oh, yeah, this is going on. Would you ask me about it? I didn't know about it. And so it leads to some great content. How do you deal with controversial situations like that, um, like a Joe Mixon situation? Um, because obviously, you know, we all know where the bread is buttered and you're all on the same team. But at the same time, you have to uh, you want to at least even if, if it's in a cursory fashion, address that. Um, or even if it comes down to like, you know, Baker in the offseason goes through what he went through um, and how you address that as the outlet of Oklahoma. What are the ways that you you touch on touchy issues? But if you don't say anything, people are going to go, well, he's a homer. I've got two different roles. Um, in my role as the voice of the Sooners, when it comes to something like that, I just tell the truth and I, and I present the facts. That's all you can do. It is not my job to give an opinion on the situation that we're going through. I'm going to tell you whether he got a first down, whether the pass was completed. By the way, there's a lot going on with him this week. You guys have read the papers and know the news media, and here's what's going on. It's pretty easy. I mean, it's it's not my job to get into that. Now, I also host a radio show in town where people expect a little more in the opinion area. And it's a morning show. We have a lot of fun. We're not necessarily throwing out hard opinions on a daily basis, but from time to time we'll have opinions on things. And I told my audience up front when I got this job, listen, you know I got this job. You know what that means. I'm not going to come on my radio show and ask for OU coaches to be fired. I'm not going to come on my radio show and talk about uh, you know, controversial things necessarily going on at the uh, University of Oklahoma Athletics Department and take really strong opinions. There are 17 other shows in town that will, 
And if that's your thing, I encourage you to seek them out. But on my show, we're going to get great interviews. We're going to get great access at OU. And, and hopefully we're going to entertain you on a daily basis. And anytime something like that comes up and somebody tries to steer me in that direction, I just kind of lay down the ground rules of the show again. And it, it's worked. I'm sure some people don't like that who have come to expect sports radio to sound a certain way. But on the other hand, I think our show is unique and brings this market something that nobody else can because of the access I have in my position. So I'm comfortable with it. Joe Castiglione, our athletic director, is comfortable with it. I've never heard from any of our coaches that are uncomfortable with it. So it's worked. Well, and this may sound like puff PC too, but I think it it probably gives you a, a, a more, I don't want to use wholesome the, again, puff PC way, but like it probably gives you a more wholesome radio show where you call in and you can learn, you, or you listen and you can learn something. Uh, and it's not the bombastic you know, well, this guy needs to go get fired. If you listen to, you know, if you listen to you guys, maybe you find out why things are the way they are and take a different understanding of how things are trying to get turned in the right direction, if that was your opinion. I hope so. And I don't prevent my callers from doing that. If the callers want to call in and voice their opinion, there have been a lot of opinions on our defense this year on my radio show. It's a forum for you. If you want to call in and complain about something, I, I have no qualms with that at all just know i'm probably not going to participate in it uh most of the time so it's been i think it's worked it's been a good formula i don't i don't know that there was necessarily a uh, uh a script ra- uh, laid out or a formula as to how that was supposed to work i know when i got the ou job there was some talk are they going to keep letting him do the talk show and and they did they put faith in me to we're going to let you keep doing the talk show, and hopefully uh, it's worked out okay. How do you address issues like that? And let's maybe take that to a game broadcast. Let's talk about Oklahoma's defense. If you're giving up a lot of yards, mm-hmm. and I guess we can use Bedlam as an example, but at the same time, uh, you're scoring enough to keep up with it. Uh, so it's less of an issue. But um, if I can flip that onto a team like Ball State this year, who's given up 50 points in five straight weeks, um, and they're... I, I look at Rich, my color guy, all the time. And I'm like, right, Rich, how are we going to do this one this week? Uh, how do you attack that on air? If, if there's something that's happening in front of you that's not great, um, saying it the right way and conveying the message that uh, is both true and in not the harshest of terms. Tell the truth. I mean, that's if the defense is not playing well, you say, I say, defense is not playing well tonight. The bad game. Give them the stats. Lay it out. OU football fans are smart. I mean, they've been around this a long time, and they expect you to be honest with them. And if you tried to sugarcoat things, uh, then you're going to lose respect pretty quick around here. Um, I think, you know, the, a lot of talk in our industry about homers, a homer broadcast, especially with a hometown college broadcast. I think uh, necessarily where that comes into play is not being more excited when your team scores a touchdown than when the other team scores a touchdown. That's natural. That's what the fans want. That's why they're listening to you rather than somebody else. Where that comes in is if you're dishonest with your listeners. And um, you can't do that. If, If you are dishonest with your listeners as to what is happening in a game in front of you, then they're not going to listen to you or they're not going to watch you. Um, That's being a homer as far as I'm concerned. So sometimes honesty is hard. Sometimes you have a terrible game and you just got to lay it out and say this is a terrible performance tonight. 
Um, and I think, though, by doing that, you gain, um, you gain some credit and some respect with your listeners in that if Toby's telling me they're playing great tonight, they're playing great tonight because he would be honest with me if they weren't. Favorite moments for you? There was an article that listed, I think, your top five at this point, and it had Samaj P. Ryan's uh, FBS record rushing day in there. Uh, and it mentioned the fact that you kind of had a feel at some point, like, I've got to, when he breaks it, I've got to have an idea of what I'm going to say because this is something that's going to get played over and over. When, it, when you're in a game, like, at what point did you stop and think, not only is, is he having a great night, but this is a historic one, and we, I should probably look up what the rushing record is in, in FBS college football and then start to think about, okay, I, I kind of want to have some sort of idea of where I'm going with this when it happens. That was a rarity. Uh, as you know, most of the moments, most of the big moments that tend to live are spontaneous. You know, Buddy hitting a three at the buzzer. Um, a, a, a Baker scramble in which he evades 14 rushers and finds a guy in the back of the end zone. You don't know that's happening. He just takes a snap and you hang on for dear life. Plants a flag at midfield. Yeah, who knew that was going to happen? <laughs> um, but that you saw coming. That, that you, as the day went along, you're right. At halftime, he's got how many ever, 200 and how many ever yards at halftime. And I got a statistician on the booth with me. I was like, what's the record? You know, what, what are we? Well, I, it had been set like the week before. It was. And so we kind of saw if he's on pace here, he's on. And then it became clear in the third quarter. Not only is he getting there, he's, he might get there by, by the end of the third quarter. So you had an hour to think we may see the greatest rushing performance in college football history today funny thing about that was it was kansas there was absolutely no hype it was a rainy day there were no fans we were delayed before kickoff because of a storm it was one of those days where you wake up and you're you're not all that fired up about i mean we're all we love our jobs but not every day is ou texas you know and all of a sudden we have this historic performance unfolding in front of us and you can't help but think in your mind I'm not a guy who likes to plan things out. I, I think that if you do that, and, and I know a lot of the guys you've talked to agree with this, if you do that, it almost inevitably sounds corny. There's a few things in, in my career I've tried to think of in advance, and then when I drop them in the broadcast, I'm like, that ah, was dumb. Why did I do that? <laughs> but this was an occasion where you're like, he's about to have the greatest day in, in college football rushing history. There's going to be a call. There's going to be a moment. I, number one, I hope it's obvious. I hope it's not he needs 12 yards and he's tackled 11 and a half yards. There's a measurement. He got it. You know, you want it to be. And he loses three on the next carry yeah. and then gets it again. You want it to be clearly that's the record. And then what am I going to say? You know, I think that naturally crosses everybody's mind. And you kind of have that wrestling in your mind. Don't plan it out. Just trust yourself. You'll say the right thing at the right time. And. Uh, you know that's kind of what ultimately happened is um i want to let's just i'll just trust it we'll see what happens and we'll see what comes flying out and that takes as you know that takes a long time to get to as a broadcaster though to trust yourself that when a big moment happens you're going to say the right thing because if you don't then it ends up on blogs or sports center or whatever and and there's no taking it back at that point What's broadcasting a Final Four like at the stage that they are at now where you're at such large venues and it's such a big deal? Um, it was certainly 
of everything I've got an opportunity to do, and I include Sugar Bowls and Big 12 championships and that moment you were talking about, it's probably the greatest thrill uh, that I've had in my seven years just because of, you know, I was a basketball player and what the final four, what college basketball means to me. And that season was magical for us. So many unbelievable moments that Buddy and that team provided. And for them to get to the Final Four, I was sitting on in the back of the team plane. We were flying from Anaheim after the Elite Eight game back to Oklahoma. And Ryan Spangler, our big man on that team, was on the aisle across from me. And I was sleeping. Everybody was sleeping on the plane. And I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I look over, and it's Spangler. And he goes, dude we're going to the final four and I was like and he woke me up because he was so excited well, that's what it was I mean we were you kind of have this moment where you walk in uh like Hoosiers and you look around and you're like holy cow this is the goal's 10 feet high and it's you know it's it's the final four now we got crushed we got ran out of the gym so it was fun for about 10 minutes into the game and then Villanova absolutely had their way with this but um it was a great experience. I, I hope we get to do it again someday. What's that atmosphere like, though, just from a broadcaster? And, like, where were you? Um, is, how hard is it to, I don't know, like, what, what, what's, what's the environment like that you're working in on a night like that? I was worried about where they put uh, the radio guys at a Final Four because there's rows and rows of media, and some of them are in the upper deck. You're and in the auxiliary that. football press yeah. box, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've never been there before. And I could never get an answer from anybody on that until game night when they put out the placards. And so I walk into the uh, arena on game night, and I'm you know, eagerly – I was assuming we were on the second row because some of those big events, you're kind of behind the TV guys a little bit. And we were on the front row at the free throw line. And I remember how excited I was that, hey, we're, we're – I mean, this is legit. You know, we're on the front row here. So uh, the atmosphere is different. All of the pageantry that goes into it is a little different from a pregame standpoint. You know, instead of 30 minutes, I think we did two hours that night. And um, are you down low too? Because the court was the court elevated. Court's elevated, so it's like yeah, it's chin level. So you're right at everybody's high tops. So everybody looks huge. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but it was fun. It was a great. It was a great experience. You're surrounded by the who's who of of broadcasting. You know, there's there's Jim Nance and Bill Raftery and. And everybody. I mean, there's everybody. So it was a great experience. I, I really, really hope we get to do it again. I want to ask you here, um, before I, I get, we get too far down the rabbit hole, um, what we talked about right when we sat down, because I didn't even think about it. Um, and then uh, just the way you talked about it, I thought was really interesting. Uh, I had mentioned going to see the Oklahoma City Memorial this morning, um, and you talked about being an intern in television when that had happened. Uh, and the fact that you were interning for national networks at that time, too, because of the way that everything happened. Um, so I, I'm curious about that, too, because that's not something not everybody on this podcast says I, I, I got to be in the same car as Dan Rather on a regular basis. So from a journalistic standpoint, what was it like to be in the center of all of that? It was horrific and exhilarating, if that makes any sense. And I hope people understand that. I mean this with the utmost respect. I was an intern at the CBS affiliate here in 1994-95 in the sports department. And the Murrah Building bombing took place in April of 95. And I got called in that morning after it had happened to um, go to the scene with our sports reporter. Everybody obviously is in news. On that day, everybody goes into news mode. 
and he's going to go to a local church where families are trying to find missing people. And so he needs help, and so I go in to help him. And, you know, it was the, it was the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And what those people were going through and the things I saw that day, I, I, I'll never be able to erase. But what happened from a professional standpoint out of that is CBS National came to town, obviously, as CNN did and everybody on the globe did, and they moved into half of our building for two or three months. I mean, they were there for a long time, and 48 hours and 60 minutes were all working out of our building, and they needed help. They needed people who knew how to get places. They didn't know Oklahoma City. And so, you know, us interns volunteered to intern for them, and two days a week I'd go in to sports and there was no sports i mean there was just no sports around here for a while nobody cared about games rightfully so and and one or two days a week i'd go help them out and it was mostly driving it was mostly we've got a lead that whoever did this maybe at this hotel can you get us to this hotel and that was creepy can you drive me to the place of a psycho killer yeah Yeah. no there was some of that going on it's like two in the morning and we need to go check out a lead I remember one time a guy was meeting with a secret informant at uh, one of the reporters was meeting with a secret whoever his source was that knew who had done this at a Denny's and he needed me to drive him to that Denny's one of the 60 minutes reporters and so I drive him to the Denny's and we get there and I start to get out and go in and he goes no 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 you're staying here and so I stay in the car he goes into the Denny's I don't have any idea who he talks to but I'm sitting there going what am I doing like I you know this is where the shooting starts in a spy movie uh, yeah Yeah. exactly so that was that was my life for a couple of months maybe longer than that and you know, but the, the professional experience that came out of it was was tremendous. Just to get to see the best in the craft do their job, to watch a forty-eight hours piece or a sixty minutes piece get put together from lead to editing to story writing till it airs, and to say, yeah, I drove him to that place. I didn't do anything, but I drove him to that place. You know, was for a college kid very um, fulfilling, and it, and I think. You know, it made me even more interested in the world of television after that and storytelling, which I think is has been something that I've I've really tried to do both in television and with the University of Oklahoma is if you can creatively tell stories and capture people's imagination with words, then that's a powerful thing. This might be a hard one, but do you even can you remember back? Is there something is there something from all that you learned about storytelling or the way that at that level things get put together that maybe stuck with you and you carried with you and said, oh, I'm like, I like that. That was interesting. I think that this is a, a large part of it was you can move people with words. I mean, you can really move people. Um, sometimes it is gut wrenching. Sometimes it is exhilarating. We do something called a scene setter here before every game where we kind of, for a minute and a half or two and a half minutes, we set the scene for what does this game mean tonight. And it plays right before kickoff at Owen Field. After the coin flip, before kickoff, they play it on the Jumbotron. And the point is we are setting the final stage before kickoff tonight, and when it ends, the play should be in a roar. And the power of words and the ability to move people to that 
is fascinating and, and very attractive to me. Now, they were doing it with really hard, gut-wrenching, emotional, sad stories. But just the fact that if you write, re if you write something really well, it can have an impact on people's lives. And those people were the best in their craft. So I think that was maybe the biggest lasting impression I took away from that. I'm going to check my notes here just to make sure I don't stop recording and then go, <laughs> oh, boy, uh, make sure I got through everything. Um, oh, this is interesting. Um, just from its own separate, completely different. But uh, I, I read at some point where you had opportunities when the Thunder came to town. Um, as a guy that wanted to get into play-by-play, -play, um, what kept you on the track? And I guess that kind of brings us full circle to where we started. What kept you on the track um, that you were on versus saying, like, hey, let me let me go try something or, and try my hand with an NBA team? Uh, the threat of a lawsuit. <laughs> oh, well, that's a, that's a phenomenal threat. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was prevented from doing it. Um, when the Thunder came to town in 2008, they, I was still at the TV station. It was pre-OU, and they called and asked if I would be the sideline guy. And, you know, holy cow. You know, first off, the NBA's coming to Oklahoma City was something that was unfathomable to any of us around here. And now we had a chance to work, travel the globe with an NBA team. Uh, the schedule was going to be better for a family. Uh, a 10 p.m. Or, or the... You know, at a local television station, if you're doing the 10 o'clock news, that is a hard life schedule-wise. And so this was going to be better for my family. It was financially going to be significantly better. And, you know, we had gotten the break of a lifetime, we thought. at the end there. And But I had three years left on my contract at my TV station and one year left on my contract at my radio station. So I went to my TV station and told them what was going on, and they were thrilled for me. They were like, you got to do this. We'll let you out of your contract, you know way to go and I went to my radio station and they didn't have the same reaction I figured it would be the other way around yeah I know and um, so you know I we we talked about it and they weren't budging and um, I finally you know I had a I don't want to get too much into the legalese but I finally decided I'm doing it anyway uh, because this is going to be television and that's radio and the non-compete doesn't apply. And, you know, we had all kinds of stuff. So I'm in the car driving to sign the contract when I get a phone call from the Thunder saying that, um, you know, there's lawsuits being threatened and they had just come out of the Seattle lawsuit situation and I wasn't worth that. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> they wanted me to be their sideline guy, but not that bad. And so the rug got pulled out from under us and, you know, it was devastating. It, re it, was, it was really, really hard. Um, it was hard on our family. It was hard on, on my wife and I and everything. Uh, obviously, the relationship with the radio station was rocky for a while. But, uh, you know, I, I'm a Christian, and I believe that when God closes a door, he opens a window. And little did I know the window that he had in store for us, for our family, about two years later. And thank God it worked out the way that it did because um, not that there's anything wrong with working for the Thunder. I, I enjoy Thunder basketball as much as anybody. But being the play-by-play -play voice at the University of Oklahoma for this kid who grew up in Oklahoma, an Oklahoma Sooner fan, is the greatest job in the world. And it wouldn't have happened if that had worked out. So it was a blessing in disguise. 
Toby, how do people find you uh, if they want to follow you on social media or, or listen to the Sooners? Um, well, I, I am on Twitter, at T-Row-O-U. Um, I don't do the Facebook thing or anything, but I do have a Twitter account if people would like to follow that. And uh, all of our broadcasts are on uh, TuneIn Radio. I think you guys do your games on TuneIn, don't you? Yeah. So you can, uh, worldwide, you can listen to all of our games on uh, TuneIn or online streaming, whatever. You can find Sooner Football out there. Toby, I appreciate it. This was fun. So uh, thank you for veering out of the way before a game and, and stopping by the hotel and, uh, and sharing some knowledge. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, we got to go be competitors against each other tonight. That's true. we got to put this friendliness aside and play a basketball game. Well, this is my first time ever to Oklahoma, and you used to live in Indiana. So I, yeah. I just I think Indiana wins this one. Well, we're, if we were playing Indiana, I'd be worried about that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just oh. for that, it's going to be a game with the under four. No, yeah. I was telling you before we started this, uh, uh, I grew up going to some Ball State games because when I lived in Newcastle, Indiana for a while, Rick, that's when Rick Majerus was at Ball State. And so I'm very fond of, of Muncie and of uh, Ball State University and of your basketball programs. So uh, anyway, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Toby Rowland joining us, voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. We'll hit the music here, and uh, this will be the outro as well. One contained podcast today. It's play-by-play cast. We're back next week with episode 76. See you. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.